teenagers as he's able to work with them and give them instruction on their level and together uh, with each other. Uh, Also, we want to remind all of our guests again about the homemade uh, ice cream tonight following services. Of course, everyone, all of our members, uh, you may say, oh, I forgot all about that. We want you to join us. And guests, everyone, we, we want you to join us following it. It's a wonderful time of fellowship and it's a delicious time of fellowship. And we're thankful for each one that has prepared that. And uh, we want to enjoy that time together. I want to go ahead and mention uh, three names of that have just been amazing in their willingness to work. I understand there have been many working long hours, but if I could mention Tina Edwards, Emily Parton, and Tanya Haley, they have worked and and just have been tireless, and they have brought us to the point where for our younger age vacation Bible school, we're ready and we're fired up and and everybody's in their position and we're thankful uh, for their great and long hours. And I would be amiss if I didn't mention also, uh, Matt Collins and Abby McCarroll. You know, when, when I talk about interns at Mount Juliet to other places, uh, I, I explain to them that we don't lean upon our interns as if, hey, we're going to come in and maybe we can teach you something. We lean upon them as we have so much to do. We have to have help. So you've got to come in and there's not a lot of time for training. You've got to get to work and you've got to do it. Well, there's never been a summer Uh, where that has been more true. And I guess I'm safe to say there's never been a summer where more hours have been asked and expected of interns. Our interns, it's not uncommon for them to work seven days a week, several weeks throughout the summer. And, um, And I'll be honest with you, I feel sorry for them, but I'm thankful for them. And, uh, and, and I tell you, we, we are in just one of those positions where God has sent us exactly what we need. And uh, we're thankful for them. They are so mature. They are so capable. And, uh, and they're so godly. And uh, we are thankful for them and the good that they do. I want to uh, mention to you, if you haven't picked up a Christian Chronicle, uh, you could... Perhaps look and, and the, maybe you receive one in the mail or you could call and order one. Or then also you could go online and a lot of these articles online. But our work that's led uh, by Don Humphrey about the sedan work, there's probably four or five articles in this one publication about it. There's a front page article. And then when you open up to the very middle, uh, you see the, the pictures there. And, uh, and that's another article right in the middle of the paper. And there are several other articles. There is a video. I'll put the link in the bulletin this week if uh, I'll try my best to remember to do that. To, you need to watch a video of how they end service. I literally, I kept thinking, how could we do that? How could we do that? They have a beautiful way that they end service. The first person steps out of the auditorium. And you can see this on the video. First person steps out of the auditorium and stands by the door. Now, keep in mind, their auditorium is a hut. But... For us, it'd be out of the auditorium, okay? And they step out, and, and the next person comes by, shakes his hand, and stands in line beside him. The next person comes out and shakes both hands and stands in line beside him. And, and we, on the video, you watch about 100 people file out, and by the time it's over with, they have a circle around the hut, and the last person comes by, and they greet every member of their congregation. That's about 100 every, at the end of every service. It's just it's beautiful to see uh, that the Lord's kingdom is doing well. The Lord's kingdom is alive and the Lord's kingdom is in fellowship and, and loves each other. And I think sometimes we, we concentrate on so much negative that, that 
Satan blinds us to so much good that's being done in the positive. And to God we give the glory. And uh, I believe that we are going to see over the next decade amazing, amazing things done in Sudan. And uh, we're thankful for that good. And you can catch up on a lot of of reading there uh, at, at Christian Chronicle if you want to go online there. Let's continue to think about this idea that the Lord challenges us to be strong. 2 Timothy, the second chapter, verse 1. Because we're a part of a mission that's greater than just us individually. Our mission is, is to be a part of a kingdom that adds to the next generation, teaching them to add to the next generation, teaching them to add to the next generation. And you say, how are we going to do this? And he gives three metaphors. In 3 and 4, he says it's like a soldier. In verse 5, he says it's like the athlete. In verse 6, he says, it's like the farmer. And today, and because of our theme in Vacation Bible School for the younger ages, we've been concentrating on this idea of a soldier. I'd like for you to look at the screen here, verse 3, where he talks about the good soldier. And, and let's read this together again in verse 3 and verse 4 of Second Timothy, the second chapter. Look at 3 and 4. You therefore must endure hardship as what? As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, no one entangled in warfare, or no one engaged in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Let's go back. You know, words have meanings. God chose the word soldier for a reason. Because when we picture a soldier, and notice especially he didn't say just any soldier, he said a good soldier. This Greek word here for good would be noble or excellent. So the Lord says, I want to talk about what you need to be. You need to be a noble soldier. You need to be an excellent soldier. Now, what have you conjured up in your mind? There's meaning behind that. What what do we think about when we think about an excellent soldier? Here are a few things on this this next slide. Notice this. For example, if if we thought of, of someone being a soldier, we would immediately think of, well, there's a war. There's an enemy. Is that what you think of when you think of your place in Christianity? Or we also think of enlisting and and realizing that they're a part of something greater than themselves, a brotherhood. Also, when we think of soldier, we think of someone who has signed up and recognizes that there will probably be pain, there could easily be injury, and possibly death. And that's realized going into it. And of course, also, we think about loyalty. We think about a good and an excellent and a noble soldier. We think about bravery. We think about courage. And we think about love, whether it's a soldier in America, a love for country, or if it's a soldier for Jesus Christ, a love for God, a love for the kingdom, a love for his church, a love for the brotherhood. Now, don't misunderstand me. The idea of membership is biblical. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about us being members of the body of Christ. The idea of fellowship is most definitely biblical. Acts 2 and 42, they continue steadfastly in apostles' doctrine and in fellowship in the breaking bread. All right, now, but listen to this. Could it be that we so often use a few of those words that are much more comfortable And we don't use some words sometimes that might be a little bit more uncomfortable that we lose vision of exactly what God has called us to be. 
Do you envision the church as just a place where you place membership? Now pause there for a moment. That sounds pretty comfortable, doesn't it? I've met people and know people that are, are members of a very, very nice country club. The idea of membership brings a little bit of, of warmth and encouragement and comfort, doesn't it? Or the idea of fellowship. Oh, I love that. We're not alone. We're in this together. The idea of fellowship brings, brings some very... And keep in mind, these are biblical. God wants us to realize that we're to be members of the body, that we're to be in fellowship with one another. But friends... Why don't we ever get up and announce this morning we want to welcome a soldier into the battle of, of Christ. This, this person is, is enlisting in the Lord's army and, and they're willing to die today for the cause of Jesus. And we want to introduce this person to you and welcome them into our army. Does that seem odd? Would, would we think, I, I don't know how that would go over with people. What if, what if we ask everybody in the auditorium to, to kind of crowd together and stand on this side, and then we said, if you're willing to die for Jesus Christ today as one of his soldiers, come to this side of the auditorium. How, how many of us would just immediately go to the other side of the auditorium? You know that when we said we wanted to become Christians, that's what we were signing up for. We were signing up to be soldiers. We were signing up. And so then we say, okay, so what is this, this metaphor that the Lord gives us and what is it that he wants us to learn from it? There are three things that he says in these three verses that are very clear. We don't have to manipulate the text at all. It's just right there. They says, this is what I want you to learn from a soldier. And then we ask ourselves, do we carry those out in our life? Notice the first one there in verse 3. Notice he says, you therefore must endure hardships. Notice that strong word must. In other words, it's required. If we're going to be a soldier of the Lord, we must endure hardships. Now let's think about endure hardships. The idea of enduring hardships is literally that willingness to suffer and willingness to remain faithful while suffering. So it's enduring. We're not giving up. We're not giving in. When the pain comes, we're going to continue willingness to endure hardships. How many times have we seen individuals leave the Lord? Of course, in leaving the Lord, they leave the church and then they say, so-and-so talked about me. So-and-so hurt me. Well, I I was just going through a really tough time and, and it just got to be very difficult. Do you realize... The idea of us being a Christian soldier is that we know we are signing up to endure during the difficult days that will come. What would you think about a soldier that went into battle and then looked around with, you know, big wide eyes and says to to a a buddy to his left or right and says, they're really shooting at us. I, I didn't sign up for this. You, you can get killed out here. I'm getting out of here. And you know, we would shake our head and think, what did he think he was signing up for? Now picture this. People that say, I got my feelings hurt. They really did mistreat me. I got laughed at at work. I wasn't in the crowd at school. And it hurts. And I I don't think God expects me to go through life being hurt and being rejected. Whoa. 
You signed up to be a soldier on his side. And if you read the scriptures right, he tells you straight up, you're going to suffer. You're going to be rejected by the world. You're going to go through pain. And so just as silly as we say, how crazy would it be for a soldier to be shocked that someone was shooting at them? How crazy is it for someone to think that if they're going to be a soldier in the Lord's army, that there's not going to be any suffering? He says, endure hardships. Turn back a few pages in your Bible to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. In 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, Peter gives us some tremendous insight here. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he was our example. And what did he come to this earth knowing would happen to him? He knew that he would suffer, but yet he still came. You see, he came willing to suffer, willing to endure the hardships. Now, look, if you will, at verse 1, the fourth chapter, 1 Peter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, here it is. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. Now, you see what that's saying? Christ had the mind that said, I'm going to come to this earth and I'm going to be willing to suffer for mankind because it's for the greater cause. And he says, now you arm yourself with the same mind Christ had. That word arm is most interesting. It's intriguing as you put it in this passage here. What does he mean by arm? You know what it is if a soldier is armed? You imagine a soldier right here, he, he, he has his weapon, he, he has uh, everything that, that he needs, the training on how to operate the weapon, uh, he, he has, um, he's ready, he's armed. Over here, imagine another soldier that has no weapon. And you look at both of them and say, are, are both of you ready for battle? And both say, sure, we're ready for battle. And he said, no, you're not. When, when the enemy comes, what are you going to do? He says, I, I don't know. I, I figured I'd talk to him a little bit, try to talk him down. Uh, I don't know. And and says, no, you're not armed. You're armed. You're ready for the enemy. You're not armed. Question, are you armed right now? How, how can we be armed for the enemy? He says, you have to have a mind that says, I am willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Do you realize how you have disarmed Satan when you have a mind that says, I'm willing to suffer? Does that click with you how powerful that is? You have taken one of Satan's huge weapons and you've disarmed him. Because a lot of time we are afraid, back to this morning's lesson, fear doesn't come from God, it comes from Satan. We are afraid of being rejected among our friends or, or around a crowd. We are afraid somebody will laugh at us. We're afraid that we're going to leave intimidated and hurt feelings. We're afraid someone might injure us physically. And we go through life with all of this, I, I, I've got to stay away from pain. I've got to stay away from injury. And you know what Satan's doing? He's just unloading. He's laughing. He's like, I'm doing it again. That person's not a Christian. They just think they are. Why? Then he aims that same weapon at a Christian. One who says, I signed up to suffer. You want someone to laugh at me? I'm not turning against God because somebody laughs at me. And you can imagine Satan shaking his weapon. Why isn't this hurting you? Oh, you want to persecute me? Think about Paul. 
If, if I can just make him hurt, he'll turn away. I'm not turning away because of some pain. You can imagine Satan looking at his weapon saying, it does no good. I can hurt them and they still won't deny the Lord. They won't turn their back. Instead, they endure the hardships. I know we can sit here and study it. I don't know what I could say that would make us truly go out and practice it. Except each one of us has to make a conviction and a commitment. That says, Lord, I enlisted to stay with you no matter what the cost. And it doesn't matter who turns away from me. And it doesn't matter how much they hurt me. I'm going to continually turn to you and endure the hardship. That's what soldiers do. When the times get hard, they don't run. And they don't act surprised that it got hard. And they don't give in and switch sides. But they fight until the end. Where'd that come from? Revelation 2.10. Be thou faithful until death. All the way to death. Don't give in. Notice the second thing as we go back to our text. In 2 Timothy 2, we also notice that not only do they endure the hardships, but look at verse 4 where he says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. In other words, they're not distracted. We engage ourselves in warfare. We're going to concentrate on the war that is at hand. We're not going to turn around and say, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm going to turn my back on the enemy right now because 3 o'clock is always the time I play Call of Duty. Imagine that. Oh, I'm, I'm going to turn my back on, on the enemy right now and, and, and right now is the time that I, I look at pornography. I want to turn my back. Right now is, is the time that I run with friends that I know they're bad news. What's going to happen if we entangle ourselves with the affairs of this life? We're going to find ourselves destroyed. That's why in the text here, Paul could literally say, no one engaged in warfare. In other words, that's a hard, fast statement. Why does no one engaged in, 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 in warfare and entangle themselves in the ways of this life? The reason no one does is because if they do, they don't survive. You're not going to point out and say, you see that group of Christians over there? They've totally involved themselves in the world. Well, no, they're not really living the Christian life anymore. They're not really on the side of Christ anymore. You can't point to anyone that's entangled themselves in the ways of this life. They've already been overcome. Sometimes it's sin. And sometimes it's not sin. It's just things that we allow to distract us from the Lord. Barna has just written another book. And he says that the number one answer of his surveys 
the number one answer when people are asked, what hinders you from serving God? The number one reply in America today among religious people was too busy. Hebrews 12 and 1 would tell us we need to lay down every sin and every weight. Sometimes it's not sin in and of itself. It's just a weight that has come into our life that we are distracted now. You know what the word entangle means? It's to be intertwined. For, for example, I could tell you right now that my two fists are, are entangled. And you say, no, they're not. They may be near each other, but they're not entangled. This would be more like entangled. And if you want a better picture of it, go to sleep tonight with chewing gum in your mouth. And when you wake up in the morning, where are you going to find it? You're probably going to find it entangled. It's not just going to be beside your head. It's probably going to be mixed all in the hair. And, and you know the old trick, you try to put ice on it and you try all kind of stuff. And then finally you get scissors out. Why? Because you can't get it out. It is entangled. What happens? We get our life. Look over real quickly to Luke the 8th chapter. Here in the parable of the soils, he nails how we entangle our life. And he just mentions three things. There's so much more than just these three. But notice what he says here. And by the way, you remember the parable of the soils? There was the hard ground, the seed, the word of God fell on, the birds just came and ate it up. And then there was the shallow ground, a shallow soil with rocks. And, and when the plant grew, it didn't have enough roots. And so the sun scorched it. So that's when just some hardships come and boom, you fall over. That's what we just studied, wasn't it? Whether or not you're going to stay when the hardship, uh, hardships come, or your roots deep enough. But now he goes to the third soil to make this point that, that we're studying right now. And that is, this is good soil. It's really got the ability to grow a crop. But the problem is, nobody's come in and guarded this soil. So not only is it growing a good crop, it's growing good weeds. It's growing good thorns. And so now there's competition for, for the nutrients that's in the ground and for the, the moisture that's coming down and for the sunlight that's coming down. And so he uses the word here. That's the very same concept of entangling. He, he uses the word choking out. And look what, look what the, the, the competition is in the eighth chapter here and in verse 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures and bring no fruit to maturity. What happened? There's off to a great start, and there was great potential there, but something was entangled. They entangled themselves with the cares of the world. What are we supposed to do with cares of the world? First Peter 5 and 7, cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. We're not supposed to keep the anxiety and the cares of the world. We're supposed to let the Lord have those. We don't entangle ourselves with those. The riches... On Chisel this past week, we visited a man, probably in his late 20s. He and his wife have moved out of a nice suburb in, in the suburb of Memphis and has moved into one of the roughest projects in Memphis because they believe that if the downtown area of Memphis is going to be changed, that people are going to have to be intentional Christians. Christians have Christ living in them. Christ needs to live in those neighborhoods. And if they can live in those neighborhoods over time, people could really change. And so that's their goal. And so they moved a four-year-old and a two-year-old into these rough projects. And so we, we were talking with this man. And, and so we kind of asked him a real direct question and said, well, you know, how are you answering the question when people ask you about your children? You've moved a four-year-old and a two-year-old into this area. You know, uh, what about safety? What about school? Now, he was real humble. And he didn't say as much as what I'm probably going to say, but he implied what I'm going to say to you. He said, well, we're not really safe anywhere. 
You can die anywhere. But he said, if you're concerned about sins, you know, like you're saying down here, there's a drug population or things like that. He said, the places we left had a real problem with materialism. The schools they would go to there, the kids find their identity in what they wear, what they drive, accessories. He said, are we going to say which sin is worse than the other sin? But I'm going to go now a step further and say this. Why are we so comfortable with the sin of riches and of materialism? Why are we so comfortable with that one? You know, if, if we had a family here in this congregation selling drugs, most of us would get into a little bit of a turmoil and say, we really have got to do something about that. But if my family, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, I'm talking to myself, you talk to yourself. If my family is finding their identity in materialism, which ones the Lord say the most about? You can't hardly find a sin that the Lord talks about more than riches and materialism and putting our trust in money and, and all of that. And so here we have the entanglement. We have the entanglement where, where you say, Lord, what is it that keeps soldiers from being good soldiers? He says oftentimes it's riches. Entanglement. You... Your riches are you and your riches. Which is it? How easy is it for you to let them go? How easy is it when you see someone who's in need to be able to say, Oh, that money's not me. That's just a blessing that God's put beside me in life and I'm glad to use it. I'm, I'm glad to give Him glory and friends... If our cares and our riches and our love for pleasure ever starts being intertwined like bubble gum and hair, we won't be a faithful soldier because we're being choked out. Faithful soldiers do not become entangled in the world and in the cares and the riches and the pleasure of the world. Now, lest you leave here and say, David said every one of us needs to sell our house and move to an inner city. I love the Mount Juliet congregation. I'd like for you to stick around. No, but, uh, but really, I'm not suggesting that we all have to do that, that in a sense of sell and move. But brethren, it's Bible. We all have to refuse to be entangled in our possessions. That's what chokes us out. They can be a tool for good, but they cannot become what we trust in. But then notice this last thing as we close this lesson. Go back, if you will, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, notice in verse 4 how he closed that. No one engaged. I'm going to read verse 4 again, but notice the closing. 2 Timothy 2, notice verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Notice this. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. That, that's a strong word, isn't it? Enlisted. We're, we're signed up. We are obligated. We said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you lead. I don't say, Lord, I'll follow you. And then I want to pick where we, you know, I want to pick what, what ministry, uh, what battle we fight. I want to pick where we go to battle. No, we sign up with the Lord 
And we follow him. How do we know if we're doing it well? Do we say, well, I I think I'm really fighting Satan. I've got brothers and sisters in Christ that's telling me I'm doing well. Or I tell you, what, what about this? I just feel good. I feel good about my spiritual life right now, so everything must be right. What do you say right there? It's all about whether or not we're well-pleasing to Him. That's when we've done it right. It's not about trying to calculate how many spiritual battles we've won. It's not about trying to calculate, have we really used you know, every spiritual gift? And, and if I can use one more in one more big way, I'm going to say then I'm doing well. Friends, every day, at the end of the day, can I lay my head on the pillow and say, Lord, I hope and pray... I've tried with every ounce of my energy today to serve you so that you will be well pleased with me. I read a guy who wrote about this passage one time, and I loved his words. He said, I played college football. My first college game that I played in, the very first play, he said, I was a running back. And he said, on this play, I was supposed to be the blocker. The very first play of the game. And he said... He said, there was a linebacker that had a bad reputation. And he said, he said, I come out of the hole and we were lined up perfect. And he said, I thought to myself, I'm not putting my body on the line for this guy. He said, as, as a running back, he said, I just gave him a little shoulder and a little elbow. And he said, that guy spun off me and he tackled the other back for a seven-yard loss. He said, now in the rest of the game... He said, I scored a touchdown. We won the game. The fans were happy. I felt pretty good about scoring a touchdown, my first college game. He said, I thought, man, this this was a great day. This was a great success. He said, Monday morning, coach called the whole team. He said, I was introduced to the film room. He said, we sat down. I thought to myself, ooh, the first play of the game. Maybe they didn't have the camera set up by then. He said... They had the camera set up. He said, it was on, the camera was on my side of the field. And he said, it was so easy to see that I gave that guy a little nudge. And he made the tackle for the seven-yard loss. And he said, man, I sunk down in my seat. He said, I was so embarrassed. He said, coach looked me square in the eyes and hit rewind. He said, he played it again. Coach looks right at me again and hit rewind. He said he did that five times in a row. And he said, after the fifth time, Coach looked over at me and he said, Son, that'll never happen again, will it? And he said, No, sir. And he said, For every down the rest of my college days, I made sure that when I went back in the film room on Mondays, that that had never happened again. He said, I would have never thought it before that moment, but he said, I literally quit playing football for the fans. And he said, I quit playing football for my stats. And he said, the truth is, in a way, I quit playing football to win on a scoreboard. He said, my goal became every Monday morning, I want coach to see that I played the game exactly the way he wanted me to play the game. 
Why are you a soldier? Why do you raise your kids the way you raise them? We look around at these young families and we look around at families that have teenagers and we have such great families, but why do you do it? Why do we have the, the, the grandparents that we have? Why do we have the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have? Why do you live the life you live? When you go to work tomorrow and the way you work, Why do you do it the way you do it? Your neighbors that you have, the good neighbor and the aggravating neighbor, why do you deal with them the way you deal with them? Can you honestly say, when you put your head on the pillow tomorrow night, can you honestly say, Lord, I have sought to please you in everything. And if you want to run, rewind the film right now, let's watch it, Lord. And I just want to make sure of one thing. I've pleased you. I've pleased you today. Good soldiers look to the one who enlisted them. And everything they do is to please Him. They endure hardships to please Him. They don't become entangled in this life to please Him. It's all about pleasing Him. Tonight, if you and God were going to have a meeting tonight, Would you be comfortable with that? Would you be glad to sit down and talk about the last week and the last month and the last year and and your life and just let it flow back? There's going to be a day a lot like that. And I know what I want. For all those plays that I didn't please Him, I want His grace and His mercy to have wiped that part of the film out. And because of Jesus Christ, I want the Lord to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Tonight, have you been forgiven? And are you getting up every day living to please Him? There's not any of us here that's made every play right. There's not any of us here that can say, I've been a soldier every day in every way that God would expect. But by God's grace, we can all be the soldier that God has created us to be. Tonight, don't leave here if you're not what God wants you to be. You're missing out on too much, and the church and the kingdom is missing out on one that we need. Everybody has a place in the Lord's army. If you want to be baptized into Christ or if you want to come back to Him, don't let Satan win this one. Don't let Satan win this one. This battle belongs to the Lord. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.